Section 11 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 11. Book 3. Part 3. Meantime, Argus, going to Aetes' palace, with manifold pleading besought his mother to pray Medea's aid, and Chalciope herself already had the same thoughts, but fear checked her soul, lest haply either fate should withstand, and she should entreat her in vain, all distraught as she would be at her father's deadly wrath, or, if Medea yielded to her prayers, her deeds should be laid bare and open to view. Now a deep slumber had relieved the maiden from her love-pains as she lay upon her couch. But straightway fearful dreams, deceitful, such as trouble one in grief, assailed her. And she thought that the stranger had taken on him the contest, not because he longed to win the ram's fleece, and that he had not come on that account to Aetes' city, but to lead her away, his wedded wife, to his own home, and she dreamed that herself contended with the oxen, and wrought the task with exceeding ease, and that her own parents set at naught their promise. For it was not the maiden they had challenged to yoke the oxen, but the stranger himself. From that arose a contention of doubtful issue between her father and the strangers, and both laid the decision upon her, to be as she should direct in her mind. But she, suddenly, neglecting her parents, chose the stranger. And measureless anguish seized them, and they shouted out in their wrath, and with the cry sleep released its hold upon her. Quivering with fear she started up, and stared round the walls of her chamber, and with difficulty did she gather her spirit within her as before, and lifted her voice aloud. Poor wretch, how have gloomy dreams affrighted me! I fear that this voyage of the heroes will bring some great evil. My heart is trembling for the stranger. Let him woo some Achaean girl far away among his own folk. Let maidenhood be mine, and the home of my parents. Yet, taking to myself a reckless heart, I will no more keep aloof, but will make trial of my sister, to see if she will entreat me to aid in the contest, through grief for her own sons. This would quench the bitter pain in my heart. She spake and rising from her bed opened the door of her chamber, barefooted, clad in one robe, and verily she desired to go to her sister, and crossed the threshold. And for long she stayed there at the entrance of her chamber, held back by shame, and she turned back once more, and once again she came forth from within, and again stole back, and idly did her feet bear her this way and that. Yea, as oft as she went straight on, shame held her within the chamber, and though held back by shame, bold desire kept urging her on. Thrice she made the attempt, and thrice she checked herself. The fourth time she fell on her bed face downward, writhing in pain. And as when a bride in her chamber bewails her youthful husband, to whom her brothers and parents have given her, nor yet does she hold converse with all her attendants for shame and for thinking of him. But she sits apart in her grief, and some doom hath destroyed him, before they have had pleasure of each other's charms, and she, with heart on fire, silently weeps, 
beholding her widowed couch, in fear lest the women should mock and revile her. Like to her did Medea lament, and suddenly, as she was in the midst of her tears, one of the handmaids came forth and noticed her, one who was her youthful attendant, and straightway she told Chalciope, who sat in the midst of her sons devising how to win over her sister. And when Chalciope heard the strange tale from the handmaid, not even so did she disregard it, and she rushed in dismay from her chamber right on to the chamber where the maiden lay in her anguish, having torn her cheeks on each side. And when Chalciope saw her, eyes all dimmed with tears, she thus addressed her. Ah me, Medea, why dost thou weep so? What has befallen thee? What terrible grief has entered thy heart? Hast some heaven-sent disease enwrapped thy frame? Or hast thou heard from our father some deadly threat concerning me and my sons? Would that I did not behold this home of my parents, or the city, but dwelt at the ends of the earth, where not even the name of Colchians is known. Thus she spake, and her sister's cheeks flushed, and though she was eager to reply, long did maiden shame restrain her. At one moment the word rose on the end of her tongue, at another it fluttered back deep within her breast, and often through her lovely lips it strove for utterance, but no sound came forth, till at last she spoke with guileful words, for the bold loves were pressing her hand. Chalciope, my heart is all trembling for thy sons, lest my father forthwith destroy them together with the strangers. Slumbering just now in a short-lived sleep, such a ghastly dream did I see, may some god forbid its fulfilment and never mayst thou win for thyself bitter care on thy son's account she spake making trial of her sister to see if she first would entreat help for her sons and utterly unbearable grief surged over chalciope's soul for fear at what she heard and then she replied yea i myself too have come to thee in eager furtherance of this purpose if thou wouldst haply devise with me and prepare some help. But swear by earth and heaven that thou wilt keep secret in thy heart what I shall tell thee, and be fellow-worker with me. I implore thee, by the blessed gods, by thyself and by thy parents, not to see them destroyed by an evil doom piteously, or else may I die with my dear sons and come back hereafter from Hades, an avenging fury to haunt thee. Thus she spake, and straightway a torrent of tears gushed forth, and low down she clasped her sister's knees with both hands, and let her head sink on her breast. Then they both made piteous lamentation over each other, and through the halls rose the faint sound of women weeping in anguish. Medea, sore troubled, first addressed her sister. God help thee! What healing can I bring thee for what thou speakest of? Horrible curses and furies! Would that it were firmly in my power to save thy sons. Be witness that mighty oath of the Colchians by which thou urgest me to swear, the great heaven and earth beneath, mother of the gods, that as far as strength lies in me, never shalt thou fail of help, if only thy prayers can be accomplished. She spake, and Chalciope thus replied, Couldst thou not then, for the stranger, who himself craves thy aid, devise some trick or some wise thought to win the contest for the sake of my sons, and from him has come Argus urging me to try to win thy help. 
I left him in the palace meantime, while I came hither. Thus she spake, and Medea's heart bounded with joy within her, and at once her fair cheeks flushed, and a mist swam before her melting eyes, and she spake as follows. Chalciope, as is dear and delightful to thee and thy sons, even so will I do. Never may the dawn appear again in my eyes, never mayst thou see me living any longer, if I should take thought for anything before thy life or thy sons' lives, for they are my brothers, my dear kinsmen, and youthful companions. So do I declare myself to be thy sister, and thy daughter too, for thou didst lift me to thy breast when an infant equally with them, as I ever heard from my mother in past days. But go, bury my kindness in silence, so I may carry out my promise unknown to my parents, and at dawn I will bring to Hecate's temple charms to cast a spell upon the bulls. Thus Chalciope went back from the chamber, and made known to her sons the help given by her sister. And again did shame and hateful fear seize Medea thus left alone, that she should devise such deeds for a man in her father's despite. Then did night draw darkness over the earth, and on the sea sailors from their ships looked towards the bear and the stars of Orion. And now the wayfarer and the warder longed for sleep, and the pole of slumber wrapped round the mother whose children were dead. Nor was there any more the barking of dogs through the city, nor sound of men's voices. But silence held the blackening gloom. But not indeed upon Medea came sweet sleep. For in her love for Aeson's son, many cares kept her wakeful, and she dreaded the mighty strength of the bulls, beneath whose fury he was like to perish by an unseemly fate in the field of Ares. And fast did her heart throb within her breast, as a sunbeam quivers upon the walls of a house when flung up from water, which is just poured forth in a cauldron, or a pail may be. And hither and thither on the swift eddy does it dart and dance along. Even so the maiden's heart quivered in her breast, and the tear of pity flowed from her eyes, and ever within anguish tortured her, a smouldering fire through her frame. And about her fine nerves, and deep down beneath the nape of the neck where the pain enters keenest, wherever the unwearied loves direct against the heart their shafts of agony. And she thought now that she would give him the charms to cast a spell on the bulls, now that she would not, and that she herself would perish, and again that she would not perish, and would not give the charms, but just as she was would endure her fate in silence. Then sitting down she wavered in her mind and said, Poor wretch, must I toss hither and thither in woe? On every side my heart is in despair, nor is there any help for my pain, but it burneth ever thus. Would that I had been slain by the swift shafts of Artemis before I had set eyes on him, before Chalciope's sons reached the Achaean land. Some god or some fury brought them hither for our grief, a cause of many tears. Let him perish in the contest, if it be his lot to die in the field. For how could I prepare the charms without my parents' knowledge? What story can I tell them? What trick, what cunning device for aid can I find? If I see him alone, apart from his comrades, shall I greet him? 
ill-starred that I am. I cannot hope that I should rest from my sorrows even though he perished. Then will evil come to me when he is bereft of life. Perish all shame. Perish all glow. May he, saved by my effort, go scatheless wherever his heart desires. But as for me, on the day when he bides the contest in triumph, May I die either straining my neck in the noose from the roof-tree, or tasting drugs destructive of life. But even so, when I am dead they will fling out taunts against me, and every city far away will ring with my doom, and the Colchian women, tossing my name on their lips hither and thither, will revile me with unseemly mocking, the maid who cared so much for a stranger that she died the maid who disgraced her home and her parents, yielding to a mad passion. And what disgrace will not be mine? Alas for my infatuation! Far better would it be for me to forsake this life this very night in my chamber by some mysterious fate, escaping all slanderous reproach, before I contemplate such nameless dishonour. She spake, and brought a casket wherein lay many drugs, some for healing, others for killing and placing it upon her knees, she wept, and she drenched her bosom with ceaseless tears, which flowed in torrents as she sat, bitterly bewailing her own fate, and she longed to choose a murderous drug to taste it, and now she was loosening the bands of the casket, eager to take it forth, unhappy maid. But suddenly a deadly fear of hateful Hades came upon her heart, and long she held back in speechless horror, and all around her thronged visions of the pleasing cares of life. She thought of all the delightful things that are among the living. She thought of her joyous playmates, as a maiden will. And the sun grew sweeter than ever to behold, seeing that in truth her soul yearned for all. And she put the casket again from off her knees, all changed by the prompting of Hera. And no more did she waver in purpose but longed for the rising dawn to appear quickly, that she might give him the charms to work the spell, as she had promised, and meet him face to face. And often did she loosen the bolts of her door, to watch for the faintest gleam, and welcome to her did the day-spring shed its light, and folk began to stir throughout the city. Then Argus bade his brothers remain there to learn the maiden's mind and plans but himself turned back and went to the ship. Now soon as ever the maiden saw the light of dawn, with her hands she gathered up her golden tresses which were floating round her shoulders in careless disarray, and bathed her tear-stained cheeks, and made her skin shine with ointment sweet as nectar. And she donned a beautiful robe, fitted with well-bent clasps, and above, on her head, divinely fair, she threw a veil gleaming like silver. And there, moving to and fro in the palace, she trod the ground forgetful of the heaven-sent woes thronging round her, and of others that were destined to follow. And she called to her maids. Twelve there were, who lay during the night in the vestibule of her fragrant chamber, young as herself, not yet sharing the bridal couch. And she bade them hastily yoke the mules to the chariot to bear her to the beauteous shrine of Hecate. Thereupon the handmaids were making ready the chariot, and Medea, meanwhile, took from the hollow casket a charm which men say is called the charm of Prometheus. If a man should anoint his body therewithal, having first appeased the maiden, 
the only begotten, with sacrifice by night. Surely that man could not be wounded by the stroke of bronze, nor would he flinch from blazing fire. But for that day he would prove superior both in prowess and in might. It shot up, first born when the ravening eagle on the rugged flanks of Caucasus let drip to the earth the blood-like ichor of tortured Prometheus. And its flower appearing a cubit above ground in colour, like the Corician crocus, rising on twin stalks. But in the earth the root was like newly cut flesh. The dark juice of it, like the sap of a mountain oak, she had gathered in a Caspian shell to make the charm withal when she had first bathed in seven ever-flowing streams and had called seven times on brimo nurse of youth night-wandering brimo of the underworld queen among the dead in the gloom of night clad in dusky garments and beneath the dark earth shook and bellowed when the titanian root was cut and the son of iapetus himself groaned his soul distraught with pain and she brought the charm forth and placed it in the fragrant band which engirdled her just beneath her bosom divinely fair and going forth she mounted the swift chariot and with her went two handmaidens on each side and she herself took the reins and in her right hand the well-fashioned whip and drove through the city and the rest the handmaids laid their hands on the chariot behind and ran along the broad highway and they kilted up their light robes above their white knees. And even as by the mild waters of Parthenius, or after bathing in the river Amnesus, Leto's daughter stands upon her golden chariot, and courses over the hills with her swift-footed rose, to greet from afar some richly steaming hecatomb. And with her come the nymphs in attendance, gathering, some at the spring of Amnesus itself, others by the glens and many fountain peaks, and round her whine and fawn the beasts cowering as she moves along thus they sped through the city and on both sides the people gave way shunning the eyes of the royal maiden but when she had left the city's well-paved streets and was approaching the shrine as she drove over the plains then she alighted eagerly from the smooth running chariot and spake as follows among her maidens friends Verily have I sinned greatly, and took no heed not to go among the stranger folk who roam over our land. The whole city is smitten with dismay. Wherefore, no one of the women who formerly gathered here day by day has now come hither. But since we have come, and no one else draws near, come, let us satisfy our souls without stint with soothing song, and when we have plucked the fair flowers amid the tender grass, that very hour will we return and with many a gift shall ye reach home this very day if ye will gladden me with this desire of mine for argus pleads with me also chalcarpe herself but this that ye hear from me keep silently in your hearts lest the tale reach my father's ears as for yon stranger who took on him the task with the oxen they bid me receive his gifts and rescue him from the deadly contest and i approved their counsel and I have summoned him to come to my presence apart from his comrades, so that we may divide the gifts among ourselves, if he bring them in his hands, and in return may give him a baleful charm. But when he comes, do ye stand aloof. End of section 11